Our second segment, we're going to uh, talk about uh, what's been going on in Albany. The state Senate uh, recently adjourned um, after a busy uh five and a half months or so. And I spoke uh, recently with uh, State Senator Kristen Gonzalez. Uh, she's a Democratic Socialist who represents uh, the 59th District, which uh, covers the East River waterfront from Astoria down to Williamsburg and uh, part of the east side of uh, Manhattan, including uh, Stytown uh, on up to about East 40th Street. And uh, uh, Kristen is also the uh, youngest a woman to ever serve in the state Senate, 27 years old, and uh, I, I joined uh, a contingent of three Democratic Socialists in the state Senate this year. And I started uh, by asking her uh, what uh, surprised her the most about being a state senator once she was on the inside. I think what I hadn't anticipated is how condensed a six month legislative cycle can be. So, you know, when we started, we, our first fight was around, um, the court of appeals, which is the highest court in New York. And the governor had a nominee who, you know, Hector LaSalle, who didn't reflect our values as working class New Yorkers. And, um, that fight took, you know, the first month of session. And really when, by the end of it, you know, when we had, successfully, um, you know, struck down the nominee, you know, uh, voted through, through the Senate and, and had the process restarting. We were suddenly in the beginning of the budget season. And so the budget is, you know, our central duty as legislators and, um, you know, the process there that I had heard of, but, you know, hearing about it and living and working through it is another thing, right? right. The process is such that, you really do a lot of internal organizing and external organizing, right? So we, we do believe in that inside outside approach to get your priorities into your one house version of the budget. And what that means is that the state Senate has its own version of the budget. The assembly has its own version. And of course, uh, the executive, the governor has her version. And once those versions are finalized or proposed, then there are three way negotiations and those negotiations happen between the leader of the Senate, the Speaker of the Assembly, and the governor herself. Um, and so all of that happened very quickly. And while we were able to make really great strides in getting all of, you know, our values of client trooper values into the Senate One House as a state senator, you know, we had BPRA in there, the Bill Public Renewables Act, we had good cause language in there. Um, it was really through the, the three-way negotiations that took longer than they normally do because our budget was late by four weeks that then suddenly, you know, not only condensed the end of our session, but then also suddenly made it really urgent in the last month to fight for things that we didn't get through the budget. So I, you know, all of this to say, you know, those three phases of the legislative cycle happens very quickly. And I think what I've learned is that there's such an importance in us from day one, being clear about what our priorities are, clear about, you know, what we need to deliver, and then, you know, organizing both on the inside and then mobilizing the ground um, and movement building to make sure that we, we don't lose any time and we, we really hit the ground running. Right. And you, you ran as an eco-socialist, and, and one of the big victories uh, for progressives and socialists uh, this session was the inclusion of uh, build the Build Public Renewables Act, uh, much of its language in the final state budget deal. Uh, your thoughts on the uh, 
impact of that, uh, what that victory means, as well as the campaign that yeah. had to be waged to uh, block the nomination of uh, Justin Driscoll to lead uh, the New York Power Authority, which is charged with implementing this uh, historic legislation, uh, someone that uh, you and others uh, harshly criticized. Absolutely. So, you know, just taking a step back for folks who, you know, may not be as familiar with the Public Renewables Act or, you know, the New York Power Authority and, and you know, what we're talking about, you know, broadly, climate is one of the one of the most urgent issues in my own district as, you know, I represent the waterfront on both sides, right? I represent waterfront in Queens and Brooklyn and then in Manhattan. And we know that climate is, you know, the climate crisis is here, right? We have to take action. And so a few years ago, the state legislature passed the CLCPA, um, which was an act that essentially, essentially said by 2030, 70% of our energy in New York State should be from renewable sources, um, because that is us actioning on climate and being very serious about reducing our emissions. Um, you know, we're only on a few percent wind and solar currently, so we're behind that goal. I think we're somewhere around, you know, 20 to 30 percent of the way there to the 70 percent. Um, but that's, you know, not enough. And so the Build Public Renewables Act was in response to that and said that in order to really achieve our goal, of running on renewable energy that, that, you know, the, to really fulfill the bill and the promise that we passed already, we needed the New York Power Authority to be able to build and own and operate its own um, energy, renewable energy sources. So that's hence the idea of public power, publicly owned, publicly operated power. And um, it was a multi-year fight. So many organizers um, helped make this bill carried by Senator Parker, you know, come to fruition, get to the finish line. And this year, we were able to get a version of our version of BPRA into our Senate One House. And what we noticed, and this is, I think, you know, goes into why this is such a significant win, it's not only because of the organizing and, and just, of course, the, the impact of it has on climate itself, on taking action on climate, but when we got to the One House portion in the Senate version, we noticed it was very different from what the executive was asking for. So, for example, um, you know, we had very strong labor language um, because we believe that as we tra- transition to renewable energy in our version of the Bill Public Renewables Act, we wanted to ensure that labor was front and center. People were paid living wages. This was done in you know, conjunction with unions. That wasn't in the governor's version of it. Another example is a bill a 2030 time frame because of the CLCPA, but Governor Hochul's version said 2035 for phasing out peaker plants. Um, we also had in our version like a mandate a mandate to build. So not only that NIPA can do this, but NIPA has a mandate, has to do this, um, which was also not in the governor's version. And negotiations and organizing during that time were, you know, very tense. And ultimately we won on every one of those things. So even with that last mile, right, of of having, you know, possibly a version being pushed of the Public Renewables Act that gutted some of the key provisions, we are really excited to say that we got over the hurdle of the last mile. We won our version. Um, and I'm really excited that now that the it, it was passed through the budget, that we're going to see this implemented. Um, and then finally, you know, now that the New York Power Authority has the ability to build and own its own renewable energy, it matters who is running 
that authority, right? It matters that it's someone that we can trust who shares our values. And unfortunately, the governor put forward a nominee, Justin Driscoll, who had previously opposed the BPRA um, and who had represented a lot of corporate and oil interests in his career. So early on about him not being the right um, person to head the authority. And then finally, once we got to the budget season and we're in, you know, the portion of the legislative session where we were finally talking about nominees um, and Justin Driscoll's nominee nomination came up, we not only found more concerning information about him, about things like discrimination under his purview and in, in NIPA, but we continued to organize. And ultimately, he did not get confirmed um, and is now serving, continuing to serve as an acting um, president for the New York Power Authority. Do you have a sense that his days are limited and that Governor Hochul will select someone else uh, more in line with uh, what the state Senate would like to see? So the reality is that if someone's in an acting role, there is no time limit on how long they could be in that role. So until the governor puts forward another nominee, you know, he is still in this role and we don't have the ability um, to change that. So, you know, I can't really speak to how long he'll be there, but without being a permanent figure, it does make it hard to do the job. And what we've seen is when other folks have been in acting role for years, they do eventually leave because it impacts their ability to, to jo- get the job done. Right. And now um, another big issue uh, in Albany this uh, session was uh, housing, affordable housing, good cause eviction law, which would uh, give uh, uh, protections to millions of uh, tenants in New York State that currently have no uh, uh, tenant protections. Uh, But none of that uh, uh, came to pass. Uh, Can you uh, give your assessment of why there was no progress on uh, good cause eviction or uh, measures to increase the production of affordable housing in New York? Apologies, I was on mute. Um, <laughs> I yes, yeah, so that's a great question, and I think it's one that we have to talk about. And I really want New Yorkers to be aware of because, as you mentioned, we are in a housing crisis. So, in addition to climate being one of our top priorities, housing was our other top priority. And um, you know what happened in the budget was we said. If there were was a governor proposal to extend tax incentives for real estate, things like 421A and J51, things that, you know, myself, I ran against because um, we should not be giving public dollars to luxury real estate developers. Um, you know, if we were going to have that proposal, we also and we needed to and, and the governor wanted to you know have a mandate to build also new housing that we have to have tenant protections. What is, you know, what is the point of having new, um, new units being built if they're unaffordable and if the tenants that move into them aren't, you know, safe and won't be able to stay there in the long term? And so uh, the good cause eviction bill was an effort to address that, um, not only from a tenant prote- protection perspective, um, but it also, said that New Yorkers had the right to renew their lease if you've been a good tenant, if you haven't broken any rules, and that your rent increase would be capped at, you know, the original version of the bill said 5%, 
market rate um, or three percent the current um, the current cost based on the current cost or of rent for a month, um, whichever was was higher. Um, so, you know, it was a fair bill, and unfortunately, as things were being negotiated, as housing was being negotiated through the budget, there was no movement on either side. So it eventually got completely kicked out of the budget. In the after we passed the budget, in the last stretch of the legislative session, we had a um, work justice for all, Democratic Socialists, and you know the senator who carried good cause eviction, uh, Senator Julia Salazar. To their credit, they worked so hard to whip the votes. We had the votes we needed, um, but unfortunately, uh, you know this bill and this package um, and and that came from this working group was killed by Rebney, the Real Estate Board of New York, and the over half a million dollars they spent lobbying against it in that last month um, and getting the governor to oppose it. Right, but was it a mistake for the leadership of the Senate and the Assembly to not just go ahead and pass this uh, uh, omnibus housing legislation and and, uh, essentially uh, uh, force the governor to... uh, either sign the the bill or take a deeply unpopular stance what, like why not uh why not yeah gain some um, leverage over her instead of just uh, uh deferring because she uh you know she threw uh some shade on you of course so that's exactly what we were pushing for in that last week um that's exactly what i and others would have liked to see happen and even for members of, you know, at least I can speak from the Senate side, members of the conference who weren't initially supportive of good cause, who were part of the working group, they also were advocating for this to be passed, even in the face of a veto, to call the, on the governor to be the one to make that final decision and push her on it. Um, so it's exactly what we wanted to see happen. Um, I think, you know, this was a decision that was made um through uh, conversations between the governor, the leader, and the speaker. Um, so it, it is, they ultimately made the decision not to do that and, and put out a statement about the same, um, you know, the day of. But it, it is really disappointing. And I believe we should have, we should have absolutely passed that because as legislators, we have a responsibility to deliver on these crises and to not at least do our part of passing these bills was completely absolving ourselves of the responsibility that we have. And so I'm incredibly disappointed that we didn't do it. Right. And how will this go differently next year? How do you uh, sort of break this uh, culture of uh, deference uh, toward the governor that still seems to exist in Albany? Um, That's a great, uh, another, you know, another really good question. Um, I don't know. And I, I don't think that's for me to, you know, this or me to answer on my own. I think what we believe in is having a coalition. We believe in mass organizing and mass movement building. So how we change our um, strategy, how we learn from this session and go forward in fighting for housing next year will be something for us, you know, collectively, our organizers collectively to talk about over the, over the summer and and um, I'm looking forward to, you know, we're already having those conversations, looking forward to ha- continuing to have those conversations and looking forward to, you know, in January, hitting the ground running and really fighting with my comrades to um, to win the tenant protections that we need. 
Okay. And one other area where you were uh, busy uh, as a legislator was uh, uh, shepherding some uh, tech-themed uh, legislation. You have a, a background in tech yourself. Uh, can you talk about uh, uh, what you were able to pass and why it was important to you in the in the area, I think, of tech uh, privacy and other things like that? Yeah, so I, I was really excited to receive um, chairwomanship, I guess, of <laughs> the uh, Senate's Internet and Technology Committee. And so in addition to all of the movement bills that we talked about so far, things like EPRA, like housing, you know, our our secondary focus was applying a socialist lens to technology. And that meant not only having hard conversations around privacy protections, but also around things like cybersecurity. Um, because we've seen an increase in ransomware attacks in not only municipalities across the state, but even on things like uh, institutions like hospitals, right? Um, mm. And so when these attacks happen and breaches happen, they actually end up hurting some of the most marginalized New Yorkers. You can take a look at the network of, of One Health Brooklyn Hospitals. They were completely kicked offline and had to work off of paper for a week, which affected, you know, not only the incredible frontline workers, doctors, nurses who were trying to provide the best care for their patients, but of course, really affected low-income um, black and brown New Yorkers. And, and uh, last of all, uh, before we have to go here, uh, so the session is done for the year. You, I mean, there's uh, almost six months uh, remaining in 2023. Uh, wh- what kind of work will you be doing uh, the the rest of the year when the legislature is out of session? I, my impression is, at least for some um, uh, legislators, the the second half of the year is sort of a time to uh, kick back and relax or uh, pursue <laughs> other um, matters of concern to them. Uh, how are you going to approach this time? Yeah. You know, what I've noticed is, yes, for some, that may be the case. But for our socialists in office, it's actually the opposite. We really kick things into gear in the second half of the year. And we focus on base building. We focus on, um, you know, communicating in, out in all of our districts what the fights are and preparing for the organizing effort for the next legislative session. So there's still a ton of work to do. And, you know, I'm really proud to be part of an organization that really uses is intentional about doing it and uses this time um, to do it. So I'm going to be, you know, working on that 